Today's show is sponsored by BMC, and BMC wants to know, is your business on its A-game? The A-game is when systems are intelligent by learning from markets, where automation is paramount yet effortless, and when technology and people work as one in an enterprise. The A-game is your business at its absolute best. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. Find out more at bmc.com slash A-game. That's bmc.com slash A-game. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody's doing well. We are continuing to, to move into spring, getting to the end of uh, March 2022. And, you know, as we've mentioned a couple of times, I probably sound a little bit hoarse. The uh, the pollen here in in, uh, in Raleigh these days has been very, very yellow. So it's a sort of a yellow fog that floats in for a few weeks and uh, kind of sniffs us up and uh, gets us all kind of congested. So apologies for that. Uh, I apologize for that a couple of times. And I will uh, do the best I can to not sound too congested, but it is what it is. So Anyway, it's another Sunday perspective show, and you know, as I was thinking about, uh, you know, where to where to go this week, um, you know, where to where, what to talk about, what to focus on, uh, you know, as I think about kind of over the length of my career, which I've mentioned before, is uh, it's been a little while. Um, you know, there's really been two huge changes. I mean, there, there's probably been a lot of changes. I mean, you could you know talk about open source software and a bunch of other things, but like two things that really sort of stand out to me. Number one was was obviously the the rise of, of cloud computing and, and public cloud computing and, you know, what that really did in terms of, you know, not only the economics of, of computing and IT and so forth, but also kind of the shift, shifting of the power dynamic, right? So, you know, at, at its core, you know, public cloud computing is this movement away from uh, you know, having a centralized IT group, a central group that makes all the decisions, that drives the architecture, that chooses the technologies, that sort of sets the the pace at which new things can happen. And it kind of gives that uh, to the groups that, you know, ultimately are, are going to be kind of building the technology or using the technology and so forth. So, uh, you know, obviously that's been a, the, a huge thing. And the second thing is, you know, for a long, long time, our industry was was fairly siloed, or at least you could kind of draw straight lines between a technology existed, let's say, for example, uh, you know, a database, right? So uh, there was a database, there's probably going to be a company or multiple companies that would sell a database, there would be a use case for a database, and there would be an organization or a group of people or a titled person who would say, I'm going to buy that database, and I'm going to run and operate and maintain that database. And, and, and you had that in databases and storage and networking and security and, and a lot of different areas where there was you know, sort of a well-defined swim lane. And one of the things that I feel like has changed a lot in our industry is we're now at the point where we kind of mash together two words. And what I mean by that is things like DevOps, or sometimes we mash together three words like DevSecOps or FinOps or AIOps, or, you know, they're not all, you know, sort of word ops, but a lot of times they're mashing together of things that ultimately are saying, well, in order to be able to uh, to do the things that we want to do going forward, to be able to, you know, ultimately sort of change the way in which we deliver, ultimately deliver applications or, or make changes to applications, um, you know, in order to do that, um, you don't just make a change to the application and, 
you know, nothing else changes around it. Oftentimes you have to make a change and it's going to have impacts on other groups, whether they are a security group, whether they are an infrastructure group, a networking group, the group that maintains, you know, firewall rules or access control lists or whatever they might be. And so what's been really interesting in our industry is we've been, you know, for maybe the last decade or so, seven, eight years or so, and we've talked about this, um, you know, DevOps probably being the most famous or well-known of the mashing together of words. And the reason I kind of bring this up was this week, there was a couple of interesting articles that were written. Uh, One was written um, by a guy named Michael DeHaan. And Michael DeHaan, for those of you that may not know him or maybe maybe not have heard his name, um, he got kind of famous in the world by uh, creating a couple of very interesting automation tools. The first one was called Cobbler. And the second one, which probably became even more famous, was called Ansible. And so he not only created the Ansible tool, the open source project, but also was the the founder of the Ansible company that eventually uh, was acquired by Red Hat and has gone on to quite a bit of success. So he wrote an article that was called uh, Microservices, Why Are We Doing This? Question mark. And, and then, uh, you know, friend of the show, Matt Assay, who now works over at MongoDB, but has been, you know, very visible uh, in the open source community for a long time and the cloud native space for a long time, came back and wrote sort of a follow-up article, maybe not uh, somewhat as a rebuttal, but somewhat as a, you know, okay, let's, let's take a look at this, this question. Uh, his article was called Why Developer Freedom Might Be Worth Microservices Headaches. So I thought there were two interesting um, sides of, of the same coin or different perspectives on, uh, you know, this, this thing, which is, you know, what happens when we decide that the ultimate goal that we're trying to achieve is uh, we want to be able to uh, build applications in a way that is more flexible to the way the business needs to adapt to things, to make changes, to experiment and so forth. And then the byproduct of that is, you know, once we start doing things in this newer way, again, call it microservices, distributed applications, whatever, it's going to have some byproducts, some ramifications, some offshoots, some adjacencies, whatever. And and they sort of dig into the sort of the trade-offs between, uh, you know, building applications in this new way, i.e. microservices or distributed applications, and, you know, the ramifications of what that means in terms of adjacent technologies, but also how we organize ourselves around things like DevOps and others. So I thought today would be sort of an interesting uh, conversation to dig into that, and we'll do that right after the break. Today's episode is brought to you by Polyscale. Polyscale is a no-code database edge cache for the world's most demanding data-driven applications. Scaling data-driven applications while maintaining a great user experience is hard. Milliseconds matter, and developers and DBAs have a myriad of technologies to engineer and integrate involving complex layers of caching, replicas, or even full database migrations, taking too much of your valuable time. Enter Polyscale. Polyscale's Edge platform is an AI-driven database cache-as-a-service that takes your current database and scales it infinitely, and with no code and no applications or databases to change. Polyscale intelligently caches data and queries compute closer to the user, providing extremely low-latency database reads from anywhere in the world, improving application performance and decreasing costs. It takes just minutes to set up and is truly plug-and-play. Check out Polyscale's Global Edge data platform, www.polyscale.ai, and sign up for a free account today. And we're back. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, you know, I, I had a chance to, to read a couple of interesting articles this week. Uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, one from Michael DeHaan and one from Matt Assay. And, you know, again, they were, they were kind of looking at this thing that, um, you know, has become fairly mainstream, um, but they were looking at it from the perspective of, okay, uh, you know, DevOps and microservices have become fairly mainstream uh, in terms of uh, somewhat in terms of customer usage. 
but at least much more so in kind of the vernacular that we have. Um, you know, there are lots of groups around uh, different IT organizations, different technology organizations who uh, now identify themselves as as being DevOps, DevOps engineers, um, you know, microservices, 10x engineers in terms of application development. You know, and, and, and a lot has gone on to sort of create the rise of this. And, you know, there's some arguments that get made in, in Michael's art article about, you know, was the DevOps movement uh, too much about sort of creating this cult-like thing? And, you know, Matt sort of, you know, takes the perspective of, okay, well, you know, if it was really a cult, like a lot of things in technology start, get started, and they fail off because they don't really gain, uh, you know, traction, um, or they just don't work. Um, but this, you know, this thing is sort of stuck around. So what might be the the, the positive byproduct of that? Um, and, and Matt really kind of goes into this, you know, kind of argument about, you know, hey, um, you know, if if one of the byproducts of of us trying to be more adaptive to the needs of the business and the business changing more quickly is I have to give developers freedom, you know, there's going to be some trade-offs that come with that. And and I think there's merit to, to kind of both sides of the argument. I thought what I would do is sort of look at this from a little bit of historic perspective, a little bit of contextual perspective, and, and see if, um, you know, we can kind of understand why some of these things have evolved, why they happened, why they still exist today, and and maybe a little bit of like, you know, where should you jump into this? Where does this matter to you? Where you know how how involved or committed to this thing should you be? And the way I got to thinking about it was, you know, at some point we started talking about this concept, and I'm gonna I'm gonna call it PaaS. We've all sort of heard of PaaS, but we we started talking about this concept around the the, the terminology called PaaS. But the, the whole goal of it was we're we're now at a stage where. Um, you know, the way that you can build an application or the way that a business might need an application built um, is going to be different than the sort of, you know, three-tier approach that had been really, really popular for a long time, the sort of web tier, middleware tier, database tier. And not that those things, those concepts went away, but, you know, because of the sort of the nature of the internet, the scale of the internet, um, you know, certain things coming along like cloud computing coming along that gave us the ability to, you know, to, to, have resources that were scalable and on demand and so forth. You know, we, we came up with this idea of, of what would be sort of a platform as a service, but ultimately the thing behind platform as a service was I like to allow my developers to have freedom, right? So I want to give them some freedom of the language they choose, the framework they choose, uh, in some cases, the backing services, the data services, the you know stateful services and so forth that they're going to choose. And I'd also... Uh, in the in the vein of, you know, I'd like to have my cake and eat it too. I'd also like to hide as much complexity about deploying that application and maintaining that application as possible from the developers. They don't really want to know or care about networking stuff, all the plumbing that goes on. They don't really, really want to care about security. They just, they don't really want to care about thinking like, where is that database? I just kind of want it to be known or named or whatever. And so, you know, we we had this, you know, around the same time as the DevOps stuff sort of came along, we were we were also kind of exploring this idea of, you know, what's possible if if we have those two goals, give developers some freedom and hide some complexity for them. And as most of us know, who've lived in this space for a long time, it's very rare that you ever get rid of a problem, right? In some cases, we can reduce the cost of stuff. And, you know, we've seen computing get faster and certain elements get cheaper. And so, Sometimes you can dissipate a problem. Sometimes you can improve a problem space, you know, reduce the cost, make it faster, whatever. 
but it's very rare that you just completely get rid of a problem. You completely eliminate a step, right? Now, we've seen some examples of things where, you know, like the sort of famous iPhone example, everybody's seen the picture, which is like, hey, if I went back 20 years, this is the 30 different devices I would have had to do to have, you know, a music player and a telephone and a calendar tool and a a video thing and whatever. And that's all now in one device. Okay. So, you know, there are times when we sort of eliminate things, but in, in that case, we didn't really eliminate them. We just turned physical things into software and put them into one device and yada, yada, yada. But you know, in the case of of the development that that sort of you know PASI like experience, the trade off was, or the thing that we didn't eliminate was, you still had to deal with those things that you were trying to abstract away and hide from the developers, right? You still had to deal with how do I provision things, like how do I package stuff, how do I secure things, how do I scale stuff, how do I uh, authenticate things, right? Like all those things were still part of you know, they still had to be part of deploying an application, securing an application, scaling and running an application, but they kind of got moved to the platform or to the operations team or so on and so forth. And and the whole concept of DevOps was really just, okay, you know, we also don't want to have this idea of like, just build an application, throw it over the wall. Nobody really knows how it happened. We're going to need to sort of make a shorter wall, if you will, so that the two teams can see each other and they can communicate. And there's still probably going to be some sort of wall, but you know the wall is going to have some holes in it, or it's going to be shorter so they can see each other, or whatever it is. And what was interesting was, you know, we, we've all kind of gone through different iterations of, of what PaaS meant. And if you did PaaS right, and what I mean by right is you put the right sort of abstractions in place, but more importantly, you you put those abstractions in place sort of knowing the choices that developers had already made. So for example, if all your developers were going to use one language and one framework, so let's suppose it's, you know, Spring, it's, you know, a Java shop, and we're going to use Spring and Spring Boot, you could build a really interesting, effective PaaS uh, to do that. Now, the challenge always became, well, what if we want to write stuff in some other language? What if we don't want to follow all of the 12-factor, you know, steps to, to get to building a 12-factor application. And then we get into the sort of classic kind of 80-20 rule of, well, you know, 80% of what you put in this system works for us, but the other 20% or 10% or whatever it is doesn't work for us. And, you know, so we get into the classic thing of like, okay, well, if, if that's the case, then, you know, do I, um, you know, do I continue to give developers freedom, but create silos? So sort of a pass for every use case, maybe right? Like that, probably not, but maybe you could. Um, You know, do we allow that 20% to sort of dictate what we do? Maybe we create a lot of, we create a lot of snowflakes when we do that. But, you know, when you talk to, to most companies, that's what they end up doing, right? So, you know, it's, it's, it's not so much a, did we give too much freedom to dev or not enough freedom to ops or, you know, whatever it was, but it was that, you know, there, there are no templates for what a business should do. There are no templates for exactly the way that you want to deliver. Now, a lot of it's the same, right? You could go from bank to bank to bank in New York City, or you could go from, you know, one automobile company to another. And the way they do things is going to have a lot of overlap, right? They, they look at each other, they try and learn from each other, you know, companies within industries do the same sort of things, or even, you know, companies in different industries who do similar stuff, you know, they sell stuff or they make stuff or, you know, whatever. Um, 
they're going to follow kind of certain patterns uh, because the industry's kind of figured out they're pretty good. But you know, it's it's always that ten percent, that twenty percent that that causes the the anxiety, and it causes us to say, okay, should I fix that problem? Should I create some new technology, or should I, you know, build a new set of automations or whatever to fix that problem, or do I not worry about it? And unfortunately, when we don't worry about it, uh, it becomes technical debt, right? I don't worry about it up front, and then I don't worry about it in the next release, and I don't worry about it in the next release, and I don't worry about it in the next release, and it it becomes technical debt. And so there's there's that kind of stuff that you have to be conscious of. Like, okay, we 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 had a goal. We were trying to to do the right thing by the business. We were trying to put the right set of technologies in place, but we can't. There is no perfect way to uh, avoid silos because I want to have a specific technology for a specific task. You can do that, but you're going to create silos. Uh, I don't want to, you know, make any one silo different from the other. Okay, I'm probably going to have to create some customization and some snowflaking. You can't get around that either. And so, you know, on the technology side of things, it, it really never has been a, uh, you know, do we give one set too many freedom and, and one not enough freedom and so forth. It really just becomes, you can't fix problems that way when, um, you know, it, the, the goal is, uh, the goal is freedom, right? The goal is, if the goal is optimization, the goal is complete efficiency. Yeah, you can cut out a whole lot of things and you're going to narrow down what people do. And some companies are perfectly happy to do that. Um, and, and that might actually be in the company's best interest. Uh, now, the other side of the coin is where you get into some interesting stuff, which is it makes the assumption that everybody working on this problem, everybody trying to make life easier for developers because developers are going to create the capability for the business to be agile, for the business to experiment, for the business to respond to the market. The assumption is everybody on the team is working towards that goal. And the assumption that everybody in the team will benefit from it in similar ways is the other part of the the equation that's somewhat flawed. And what I mean by that is you'll talk to a lot of companies and they'll go, yes, we're doing these things. We're doing microservices. We're doing... DevOps, or we're doing whatever the mashed together words of the day are. And and then you start to realize like, hmm, part of the reason people want this freedom to do stuff is they're worried that the thing they're working on seems legacy and they don't really want that on their resume. I'll give you an example. I uh, had somebody reach out to me not too long ago and I'll you know, avoid names and kind of hide the details to protect the innocent. It was a great question they asked. They said, hey, I work on this team. Um, it's somewhat of a legacy technology. Um, I'm a fairly young person in my career. And while I love the team, um, you know, I feel like kind of stuck and I don't know that I, you know, want to build my career around this technology that isn't sort of fairly leading edge, especially if my career is going to be 10 more years, 20 more years, 30 more years. And this is not an unusual question, right? It's not an unusual concern. And it's oftentimes why we see things like what we call resume-driven development. The idea that, you know, you made certain choices because it's, you know, maybe going to help your company, but it's probably going to help your resume just as much. And I don't mean to bring this up as a negative thing, but it's it, it's it's the also, it's the other reality of, you know, teams very rarely are going to be in sync of everybody's priorities, everybody's goals, everybody's motivations at the same time and for a long period of time. 
And so, you know, I think what we end up finding is, again, apologize for the, the coughs and so forth. I'll try and edit those out. Is, you know, what you're trying to figure out is, given those constraints, given those trade-offs that you make, uh, again, uh, goal is improve the business, make the business more agile, make the business more adaptable, give your business more chances to be successful. The trade-offs become, how do I do that? How do I do it in technology? How do I do it in the organization? And, you know, I think what, what I often find is we we get wrapped up in whatever buzzword that we're pushing along, cloud first, DevOps, DevSecOps, FinOps, uh, microservices, 10X engineer, whatever the heck that is. And the reality is in most cases, when you talk to the companies who are fairly successful at it, what they've done is they've taken bits and pieces of those things because they are fairly good ideas. There's a lot of goodness in these things, right? There's, there's a lot of goodness in these adjacent technologies, but you don't always need all of them. And sometimes if you use all of them or you use them to the extreme that are you know, pushed out as the best practice, that's when you get out over your ski tips. You get out over your situation where you can't find enough people that know this stuff. You can't keep up with the amount of change that happens. You can't keep up with uh, the amount of technical debt it might create. And so I think what you end up figuring out is not are these things inherently good or bad, but what part of them are going to be good for you? And you don't need to keep all of it. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I was listening to a really interesting podcast recently, and somebody was talking about, um, you know, the fact that they uh, now deploy sort of microservices or multiple distributed services. And as they were looking at that, one of the challenges they had was, okay, these distributed services now have to be networked in a different way. Um, the services have to find each other, um, especially as new services come along. And the company wanted to try and make them secure, you know, secure the communication between these things. So they started looking at service mesh technology. And one of the interesting takeaways they had was, well, um, the technology is really interesting. It does a lot of things. Uh, and I only need about 20% of them. But in order for me to get 20, you know, to use 20% of it, I get 80% of, you know, it, it makes my situation 80% better, right? Maybe it's 50% better, whatever it was. But it was a really good example. And it was a really simple example of saying, hey, figure out what you want to do. Um, your situation has been created for a reason. You didn't just go to microservices because you wanted to. And I know there's situations that happens or somebody goes to the cloud because it sounds cool. But at some point, you have to live with it. You make a decision, you live with it. And you don't always have to embrace all of it. You don't have to embrace 100% of the feature set of some project. You don't have to always upgrade every three months just because the project comes out that way. And all those sort of other little nuances in there. So I think, you know, as I'm thinking about sort of Matt's perspective and and Michael's perspective on this thing, um, I, I think there's a rightness to both of what they're saying. And I think there's also, you know, kind of an extremeness that we get into in our in our societies these days where, you know, the only discussion we want to have is if we go, you know, extreme, we go to the, the farthest reaches of that argument. Again, it could be political, it could be technical, it could be whatever. And I think there's there's a lot of value to be found in the middle of those arguments, in the in the not having to go to the extreme of it. 20% of it's interesting, 30% of it's interesting. And 20 30% might be all that you need to move you forward to that next level where, you know, your mashed up word teams can actually work together. You know, you do solve the one or two really hard problems you're trying to solve and the other ones, okay. I can keep giving you the freedom to do some things. They 
create technical debt, but I can live with that amount of technical debt. And I think as I, as I sort of think about and kind of synthesize those two arguments, um, it feels like the, the places in between, not the extremes that they're trying to push, you know, uh, full developer freedom or, you know, screwed up microservices, distributedness is a mess. There's value in the middle of it. And I think understanding that, that middle value point and, and figuring out what makes sense for you um, is probably, in a lot of cases, going to be the place where you find success. If, if your goals as a business are driving the technology or the technology is driving the business, um, those middle places oftentimes might be where you need to be for sustained periods of time to align your people, to align your business goals. So anyways, um, it was a lot, a little bit of rambling in there. Apologize for that. And apologize for the sniffling. Um, but anyway, something to think about. Uh, something, you know, again, as, as I've been thinking about where the big changes in our industry have come from, um, you know, that, that times when we mash stuff together, I think we start in good places. We tend to take them to extremes. And I think the the in-betweens are the, are the interesting places for us to explore a little more as opposed to the, you know, far in one direction or far in the other direction. You know, only one is right. And, uh, you know, there must be there must be only one. So anyways, hope that was interesting to you. Um, hope you're doing well. Uh, lots of good shows coming up. We're actually really, really backlogged on shows. We've got people booking out till June and July and August and more interesting stuff than we probably ever had on the show. So thank you all for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for continuing to, to you know, help us grow the show. We've gotten a lot of really interesting questions. I'm a little behind in answering some people's questions, but if you if you have questions, if you have suggestions, um, again, please feel free to hit us up, DM us, hit us up on Twitter, uh, email, uh, show at thecloudcast.net or any other way that you want to reach out to us. We're, we're happy to, to try and help or, or give you some guidance. So with that, I'll wrap it up and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 